Blog Talk Radio. Hey there, and thanks for listening to the Family Recovery Projects podcast. Join us every week to hear about our mission, why we do what we do, and how we can help your family navigate through the turbulence of getting treatment for a loved one. Stay tuned. Hello, and welcome to our podcast on this lovely January Sunday evening, afternoon for those of you on the West Coast. Hi, Frank. How are you? Good, Jacqueline. Having a great weekend. Awesome. So am I. Had a great trip to the North Georgia mountains this weekend. Oh, lucky you. I was stuck at home. Just kind of <laughs> working and writing as usual. So. Yeah, it was really okay. nice. It's about it's about to get um, really crazy over here because Adam is moving. Technically, next week he'll be heading out to Salt Lake City. I know. I know. know. Lots of things happening in life as usual. Yes. Yes. So he'll be out there officially starting next week. And then I will be here packing and getting ready to head out myself in March. So it'll be fun. It's going to be an exciting, exciting month. A lot going on. Mm -hmm. So tonight we thought we would talk about money. And, um, Frank, you posted on our Facebook page, the Family Recovery Project page on Facebook, um, some of your thoughts about finances and and just your thinking. And and I think that's a lot of what you and I have talked about that we really want to put out there tonight is how much your thinking about finances changes when it comes to putting someone in treatment and that whole process and you know, that we're, we're not really here to tell people how to spend their money or how much to spend or what it costs or, you know, anything like that, because that really does depend on where you choose to put your child. I mean, it depends on the, on the level of treatment and, you know, the the education of the treatment providers and all kinds of different factors. But more than anything, what we wanted to help people with is what what the process is like. And you wanted to share some of your experience on what you went through and how differently your thinking was. And one of the things that, you know, one of the paragraphs I really liked in what you posted on Facebook that that I think defines really well what, you know, what the, how, how shaken up your thinking gets around money in this process um, is let's see, one, two, three, four, five paragraphs in where you said, I believed it would be a linear process of moving through each step until the list was complete and life would return to normal. I wasn't ready for the steps that moved us backwards, sideways, directions that I never imagined or just getting stuck in the same place. And I think that's, I think that's a great place for us to start tonight is, um, you know, how when it comes to spending our hard-earned money, we naturally think about, you know, especially when it comes to some treatment centers. And, and I think y- y- we found that kind of the average cost for, um, outpatient treatment is around $25,000 and, and even more, you know, if you, when you get into inpatient detox and things like that. Um, but, 
you know, we, we as a culture have a tendency to think, okay, if I'm going to spend $25,000, then the results should be X, Y, Z. You know, we have a, we have a, a definition that we come up with of what we think the, re- the results will be. And if we're spending this much money, then, you know, usually what people think is something along the lines of my kid will be normal again, <laughs> you know, and we'll, we'll stop using drugs or stop drinking excessively or whatever the case may be. And that's not always how it works. So right. actually it, it was uh, the numbers just to, I don't mean to correct you, but, uh, for intensive outpatient, the national um, kind of accepted average that most of the treatment centers and experts use is ten thousand. Oh, okay. Um, okay. The, the, resi- the residential stay, the standard you know, twenty-eight to thirty-day type stay, is what gets uh, on average around twenty-five, depending upon level of service and expertise that's available. Uh, but either way, it's a lot of money. Um, right. You know, and, for and, people to, no, I'm, I'm happy for you to correct me. <laughs> Please do. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was going to say that's uh, one heck of an outpatient uh, program. Uh, at, at <laughs> right. Time. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and then again, and again, we'll, we'll talk probably about this a little bit later, but just the way that outpatient is structured is different in different situations also. Yes. So, yeah, I, I think that when uh, we were doing our pre-production to, you know, to get ready uh, for this talk tonight, I think that it, it really is. I mean, we're, we're as parents are really in a position where we're really wondering, you know, what comes next. And when we get this proposition to buy um, services and, and expertise to help us, uh, I really wasn't prepared for the nonlinearity of that process. And that's why I talked about, you know, it was really amazing how I felt like there literally were days that I, I really had no idea which direction we were moving in. Um, it had and it had a lot to do with me because I really didn't understand that, you know, my son's treatment was his and then my recovery was mine. So I didn't, you know, the blending of that money and how it was going out and who it was going to, I was always kind of wondering, well, how is this fitting together? You know, who who's working on what? at what times and I you know I kept wanting to force it into that model that I grew up with, you know, if you if you start at A and you go to B and you go to C then, you know, you you end up at D. And addiction right. just doesn't work that way. It just doesn't. Yeah. Uh, so I was totally unprepared for that. Uh and, you know, my experience was was that it really was a matter of wanting to save my son more than anything with a complete lack of understanding of what I was actually getting involved with. Mm-hmm. Does that, that make sense? Yes. And so our, our first foray into getting my son into treatment didn't really go well. And I think it did jade my perspective, but it also kind of set me on this path to where we're talking today. Um, you know, we put my son in, in, a, in a residential, it was a lockdown facility, um, because he'd been acting out and we were upset and as parents will do, we just thought, well, we, you know, we're going to put him somewhere where he can't just walk out of or run away. Right. And I had a, a had a really uh, questionable experience with the, his uh, case manager who was a PhD. And this, this place was uh, over $30,000 for a month uh, to get him turned around. And, a couple of weeks into it, I 
it was at that time it was really important that my son stay in school because he was in high school. Right. And so one of my criteria was is that it had to have some education, uh, you know, factored into the treatment. And when I toured the facility, it was it looked great. It was clean. It was you know polished up, and there was a classroom there that looked like. And thinking back now and looking at it, I think it was like it might have been staged in a way because everything was just so neat, books lined up, you know, big globe in the corner and um, tables and desks and chairs and everything, you know, nicely lined up. And and it gave me the impression that my son was going to be able to keep up with his schoolwork. Right. Again, that was one of the things that was important to me. My uh, my responsibility was that I had to stop at his school, pick up his assignments, and then drop them off and then pick up the assignments that were completed. And, uh, you know, high schools have a lot of homework. So I was, you know, basically running over there every other day. And immediately within that first week, um, one, I knew nothing about detox and what my son was going to be going through, you know, getting into their process of treatment itself. But I started showing up to drop off work and there was nothing for me to pick up. And right. I thought, well, what's happening? So I started calling, the, you know, his his case manager and um, I thought, well, I just need an answer. Why is he he's getting behind in school? That, that's what I was thinking. It's really important that he stay up in school. And uh, I was missing the treatment part of it for the drugs completely. And, right. and so a couple of weeks in, I was dropping off and not picking up anything. And so I finally called and I asked for an outline, uh, just a basic one-page, two-page outline of what our benchmarks were. But my my ulterior motive was to get her to explain how we were going to get him caught up in school. Right. And so I I I I bugged, I, you know, I kept bugging them and bugging them and then I finally got this document out and it was just this really very very clinical letter kind of telling me in a very terse way that this is a real imposition of my time but I'm going to do this anyway and I'm going to give you uh, this this is why we do what we do here. And I thought, well, I can live with, you know, that condescending language and and long story short, I started to want to think about how, why this document was worded the way that it was. And so I uh, had a good friend, a professor you know, at a university, so I said, would you do me a favor? I'm going to email you something. Would you run this document through the software that you run through to check to see where things come from? Because there was this right. thing in me was telling me that this was not quite right. So he did, and... Uh, you know, like a couple of days later, I got his response back, and I have all the sources of where basically this document had been just listed out of different papers and different books and things. And so I started to check, and then just given my nature and, and my training and background, I went back and I started to read the whole surveys and studies, and basically what she had done was cut and paste things together that didn't actually go together. And so I finally got in front of her to talk to her, to confront her about the kind of game that she was playing, you know, intellectually. Um, She really just tried to put me in my place and said, well, you're really not qualified to be even judging this work. Um, (gasps) My my thing was that you plagiarized this lady. You better better be able to explain this to me. Right. Uh, Because my, my son is here with you now. 
And so I said, you've got basically five minutes to give me an explanation or you're going to have another five minutes to, to get to prepare my son to walk out of here. Um, and she chose the latter. Um, so as I say, that was my first experience in going out. And uh, later on when I was talking with the teacher, the teacher was also leaving because he wasn't able to actually teach. Because uh, anytime anything would happen on the floor, somebody acting up or whatever, the facility would go into lockdown and nobody got to go to school. So it didn't really even have anything to do with my son per se, but it definitely was right. affecting what he perceived to be a $30,000 investment to get my son back. Uh, but yeah. anyway, that's long story short, and that's how I got started. And um, I don't know if you have any questions or any comments, but that's how, I, that's how we got going. Well, I mean, I think I was kind of commenting as you were going through. <laughs> you could hear my my shock and awe as you were speaking. And that, uh, we don't have to say the name of that place, but that's the place that um, is no longer licensed, correct? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and what, you know, what's scary about that is, you know, the the kind of, people that that you you can end up working with in those situations, you know, and a lot of what we've been talking about and a lot of what we are here to help with is to help people not end up in a situation like that, basically, <laughs> you know, is to do their research and um, really ask a lot of questions on the front end and know what they're walking into, you know? Yeah, it would have been something, Jacqueline, as simple as me as being able to ask uh, to speak with the teacher. And, right. Uh, you know, right. I, I didn't, I, I wasn't, I was really prepared to give them all of the control because everything, as we talked before, for most parents and loved ones, I mean, things that we've tried in the past have not worked, even previous episodes in treatment. This just happened to be my first decision that I was working with, you know, with my ex uh, to be able to get help for my son. And, you know, it just was unfortunate that it happened that way. Um, right. By the time that I got to the treatment center that you were working at, I was I was still very, very angry. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because there were other things that happened after that at other treatment places that, you know, continue to build and feel the anger. Um, but it also set me on a path to do the research to find out so that I really could ask questions that sometime treatment pros couldn't answer. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, it was the only way that I had to justify what I was spending. Um, within the first, uh, 14, 15 months, uh, you know, I was, I was already, I was down over a hundred thousand dollars. Right. Um, and because you just can't give up. I, I, I was telling you a little bit earlier, too, about the fact that one of the things that, that's talked about a lot with parents is that uh, we, we're, we shouldn't really allow our bank accounts to determine whether or not our, our child is going to get treatment or not, because the alternative to that is to either do nothing and then it, the situation could become worse. Um, and in some cases, I think that's probably true, but that doesn't give us any room to be able to ask the questions that we need to, to be able to know what we're in, you know, in, 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 in an essence buying, um, right. To keep our, to keep our family together. And I think that that's the part that 
I wanted to talk about today with you was just that process in, in terms of looking at it, understanding what that costs mean in terms of like you you, you talked about hard earned dollars. I mean, when you're when you're you're bleeding money like that, it's hard to find that to put back in in terms of retirement and you know other college education funds for other kids because uh, it's certainly not like buying a car that I can take back and get my money back. Right. Uh, it doesn't work that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I know one of the things that we talked about earlier, too, was um, parents who will go into, you know, their first treatment situation with this attitude of, of you know, I'm only doing this once, <laughs> you know. Right, and, right. Um, you know, if you don't, if this doesn't work, we're not doing this again. And, and it, it becomes this weird threat, you know, and, and all of a sudden, which is very understandable that a parent would do that, you know, because for for a lot of people, $25,000 for treatment is a lot of money. I mean, that's a lot of money. And right. a lot of people are pulling out of their retirement funds. They're depleting their savings. You know, they're doing all these things that um, understandably cause them some insecurity when it comes to their future and their children's futures and their retirements and, you know, the possibility of paying for their kids to go to college or vacation, things like that, that are important, you know, and that we all, we all worry about. And, um, and it, it just becomes this, you know, get your act together because we're going broke trying to take care of you. And that, you know, one of the things we talked about is how that really does go back to that, what we talked about, I don't know, our first or second podcast with the, the lack of relationship, you know, and, and that it, it's why parents find it difficult sometimes in these situations to, express to their kids how much they support them or to even be able to support them, you know, because that's when, you know, when you're watching your bank account slowly dwindle and you're getting calls from your kid's counselor that are not positive, you know, that are, you know, he's going to need more or, um, you know, she's not doing well or she's relapsing, you know, that becomes this like, I mean, like a time bomb, you know, that's going to explode because you've got a parent who's already been under a ton of stress before they got their kid to where they are, you know, into a treatment situation. And now not only are they super concerned about their child, but they're also concerned about their financial standing, you know, and especially, and and I'll let you speak to this a little bit more because this was your experience when they have other children in the mix. Right. Because, yeah, we do get put in a position where, you know, we really are not, it it, it really makes you feel like, well, what is this worth? Is this worth the right. life of your child? Right. Because if you don't, if you don't invest in this and don't address the issue, then it's not just the fact that you're not willing to pay the cost of rehab. It's that you're not willing to address the problem that is, could be 10 or 12-fold worse if we don't do something for about the future. Mm-hmm. And I, I know that a lot of, of uh, you know, information that comes out of the National Institute of Health and the National Institute of Drug Abuse is, is based on data, uh, you know, where they're looking at uh, ratios that say 
you know, right now they're they're saying that if if we spend a dollar on treatment, we're going to save ten to twelve dollars in the future in terms of like uh, incarceration costs or other uh, healthcare uh, costs down the road somewhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's a difficult it's a difficult proposition to weigh in your mind because basically we give up our we're being asked to give up our future financially in a lot in a lot of situations. Um, because ultimately, sometimes your your insurance will run out, uh, depending upon where you're choosing to put it in, and you, you, you'll get an annual allocation or whatever they're willing to do on mental health, and then and then ultimately they'll say, well, you get your lifetime limit. In uh, worst case scenarios for some parents, and now there are good stories of folks that you know that have been able to invest one time their their child kind of gets the message, and they're able to then manage that process on the way out. Um, you know, but there are millions of us that don't have that opportunity. We, our right. kids are in rehab for five, six, seven, eight years. Um, yeah, and it's a, it's a really difficult road to navigate. It's not only bumps and and bruises that you get by you know these things that are in the road. It's just that. Um, eventually, you feel like you're walking because you can't even afford to fix your vehicle anymore. You know because you, you, you're saving your money for the next round, right? And looking ahead to see where are we going to find the money to be able to keep this process going? Uh, because by that time, you're vested. You know you don't really right. have a way back. Um, and, and I think that that's the one thing that I would like to have more open discussions about not only with respect to the family recovery project, but with treatment centers as well, because I believe that treatment centers tell what they have to offer. Right. So if they're, if they're heavily loaded on the intensive outpatient portion of it, they're going to sell that as the treatment of choice. If they have the licensing and the financial wherewithal to be able to put a residential unit together, they're going to sell the residential unit over outpatient. Right. Uh, so I, I just want to caution parents to say, well, it, you know, it, it sometimes it does work better for a child to be taken away and, and you know, uh, basically put in a residence for, you know, 30 days or 60 days, whatever it takes to kind of break their pattern of thinking. But I think that I just want it to be a little bit more authentic, a little bit more honest about where that leads to. And then what the downside is, um, right? Because financially, uh, it does change futures. Not only in trying to save our child, but it affects everybody in the family. Um, there are people that that are lucky that can out earn consequences, but the majority of people that are in this situation, um, are, are, they, they don't have that kind of opportunity. They don't think, well, I made one hundred and ten thousand last year. Next year, I'm going to make two fifty. I'll just make up for it. Um, that you know, in the real world, um, it's just not that probable that that's going to be able to take place on a weekly basis. So, right, and uh, that's kind of my caution, my little bit of cautionary tale. And and I also felt too that we, as parents, and and you know, we were always being asked to pay both indirect and direct costs, meaning that we would pay for treatment, we pay our copayment for insurance, we pay our deductibles, and then we would pay indirectly through taxes. So there was no escape. And it did right. make me resentful. It made me resentful about the process that we were going through. Yeah, you know, I kept wanting to ask my son, "Why? Why are you? You know, it was it was not being selfish, but it was like, why are you doing this to us? 
Yeah. Well, yeah. That's how I really, it feels. I, because I did feel like I had no choice. Uh, now I know that I would have been able to make different choices, but, you know, it, it's water under the bridge. But I certainly don't want other families to go through uh, everything that a lot of us have been through because we didn't take the time to process and get in into a situation on intake where we were asking the right questions. Right. So, I, you know, I really think it's it's such a tough situation on both ends you know i can i can speak a little bit to the other side of it you know being on the treatment side and how touchy it can get um being paid for services like this <laughs> you know um right. because it 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 absolutely i mean i know when i was working for a treatment program, um, I worked nonstop. I mean, nonstop, you know, I mean, we were as a, as coworkers, we were constantly talking about how important it was for us to find things to do where we could just shut it all off, (laughs) you know, and, and, and get our heads out of the kids we were working with and into our own lives, you know, and, and really try to, to keep the two very separate and it's hard to do. And, I, you know, having been in the, the industry, I do, I'm a, I'm a strong believer in treatment professionals should get paid very well for what they do because what goes on behind the scenes is so much more than what you see on the front end, you know? Sure. And um, that being said, I I also believe that there are places that are charging way too much, you know, for for treatment. Um, and I think there are places that don't charge enough. You know, I think the place that I worked did not charge enough, um, and it was right. it was difficult. You know, it was it was hard for us because you've got to strike this very delicate balance where you don't want to look at the people you're working with as money. You know, you don't want to see dollar signs when you see families walk in the door. You want to stay in a in a really um, honest, genuine place of I, you know, I'm here to help you because that that for I can speak for myself. That's where I was, you know. But there were definitely times, you know, the the place that I worked went through some some really rough financial times, which was was really really hard on me personally you know I, I don't think it was that was the case for everyone but um i you know i had a rough time with it and um and and it is it does that that's when it does get difficult it does become hard not to look at families coming in as great maybe i'll get a paycheck this week <laughs> you know um and and that's just, well, there, you know that's just human and 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 nothing can be done about that you know um, but go ahead what were you going to say? No, I was going to say well that's the reality I think that we want we want the people that are taking care of our children to be compensated. Yes. You know I yes. think that I mean because I, I you know we know how hard it is to do the job as it were, and right. it isn't that we're not willing to pay. I mean I I, I knew that basically one of my basic things was I wasn't going to send my, you know, my child to a place just because it had a view of the ocean. Right. Um, right. Because I would have been, I would have been broke long before 
you know, <laughs> my time came. But <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think that, you know, I was looking for people that, you know, I really wanted to believe, as I did with my son, when my son would tell me things, I wanted to believe the people that were, you know, that I was visiting with, you know, what are your benchmarks? Um, you know, what what are your levels of service? Uh, does my son need detox? I mean, you know, the basic things that you talk about. Um, but it really, it's something that really doesn't really get discussed a lot is mm-hmm. what happens if we relapse. And, you know, one of the adages, you know, with respect to AA is that, you know, relapses, you know, is, is, is basically a, a, a progress and part of a process of recovery. Mm-hmm. Uh, for a parent, it, 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 that basically equates to additional costs. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And, and and especially talking about kids that are 16, 17, 18 that still have, you know, a whole lot of life ahead of them, just trying to get them to graduate from high school. Um, right. Trying to make that difference in their life. It's maybe, would have, maybe would have been different for me if my son was 28 years old and asked me right. for help. Yes, but yes. you know we're we're talking to a segment of the population here, the nine million families that have set twenty five and under that need help um, are basically being put in a position where financially they they're you know they're they're putting their future at risk. Uh, and right. again, I I had a, a really difficult time trying to balance that emotional side of my need to save my son with the intellectual side that's just basically simple math. Yeah. Um, you know, if, if if you're making X amount of dollars and you're spending five times more, it ultimately is going to end up catching up with you. Yeah. Um, there, there are ways to balance that equation, but going and knowing that these are the risks and these are the rewards, I think that that's a better place to have parents start from, from the very beginning. And it's a very salient conversation that has to take place. Mm-hmm. Not just within a family, but within the people that you're talking to that are offering services. Because, um, as you know, uh, what you were what you were offering when you were doing your job were, was the intellectual property aspects of it. That uh, again, that's what we're buying is 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 intellectual expertise. So mm-hmm. it's really difficult to try to kind of pair that with where we are emotionally as parents. You know, because we're right. really. I think you understand where we're at, but you're working in, on an intellectual plane where you're trying to get our kids to make better choices. Um, so, you know, we're, we're we're actually living in different worlds uh, intellectually at times, but mm-hmm. we're occupying the same space. Right. Um, right. But, but in order yeah. for but in order for us to occupy that space, somebody's got to write a check. <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and and that's the part that I think that I want parents to think about and to reach out to not only us but other parents and and talk it through before you make a decision about what may become a long-term process for you in in their lives and in their families' lives. Yep. Yep. Well, yeah, and I, you know, I again, that's why I really feel like we're going to be able to be so helpful for families in these situations because there are just so many different, when you start to look at the financial part, it bleeds into so many different areas that actually have nothing to do with finances, but that you do need to assess before you start to take those steps forward. You know, I mean, I think it's, it's really natural for 
you know, earlier we were talking about the the kinds of things we've seen, you know, really educated um, people and people who are educated in, you know, psychology and, and their clinicians in the field who have done things with their kids that were like, what, <laughs> you know, that we just, right. that seem crazy to us. And, and you said, well, I don't even know what the word is for that. And I said, it's desperation, you know, and I do think a lot of families get there. They get to this place of desperation where um, they'll, they'll try anything and they'll spend any amount of money that they want to. And I, I am not judgmental of that at all. And I don't think that's the message that, that is coming across from us at all. You know, I think it's, if you're a parent who's out there listening and you've already spent $150,000 on a bunch of stuff that you feel like has not worked, you are not alone. And um, I definitely don't think that that's uncommon or wrong or bad or, you know, any of those things. Um, I think it's really, really normal and understandable and human and understand that what we're trying to achieve is future problems like that. You know, we're, we're trying to help families moving forward to make better decisions and, you know, possibly affect the, the paradigm of treatment, you know, and, and hopefully bring about a level of accountability that we just don't feel is there right now when it comes to the, the, the way that these situations are handled from the treatment end with the families, you know, um, ultimately that's, that's what we're speaking to right now. But to go back to um, before I went off on that tangent, <laughs> what I was saying earlier is, um, you know, I think that it's, it's one of those again, where we really, really want to help people to slow down and really think through long term and to have conversations with their kids if they can. You know, I mean, again, you and I both know people who's, and, and this was your situation for a while, whose kids are not in the picture, you know, right. and they're, they're anxiously awaiting the moment that their child steps back in the door to immediately put them in some kind of treatment, you know, like as soon as, as their child is willing to seek help, you know, they're, they're ready to, um, to push that button. But if you can, you know, if you can, um, you know, br bring your kid in on the decision or, or you can really sit down and, and structure some parameters for yourself of what what you're willing to spend money on, how much money you, you have to spend, how much you're willing to spend, how much you can get, you know, um, it's okay to really stop and, and let that be a very mindful um, decision, you know, and I, I think that's that's the biggest thing that I think about with this is, um, you know, I do feel like because of the gravity of the situation, sometimes, you know, we parents end up making financial decisions that later they're not super happy about, you know? Um, so. And, and I, I think I gave you the example at one time where I, I know that parents and part, and, and I always call it parking lot, conversation because that's where a lot of our work takes place you know right. after our parent yeah. meetings and things but, yeah you know their their child would come up and ask for five dollars to go buy a burger with their friends or whatever and a parent would just rip into them you know mm -hmm. right you know like you know have to remind them publicly uh, because of the right. fact that they do get they get resentful or hurt or, you know it 
and said, well, you know, I, I told you when we did this again for the second or third or fourth time, whatever it is, you know, that I wasn't going to be just giving you money whenever you walk up to me. Right. And I used to feel really, I used to feel really bad for the child. Um, right. I, I, I was, I was very empathetic to what the parent was feeling too, but I'm thinking this is probably not the right place to be having that kind of conversation. Um, not that I was going to pull out five bucks and give them money out of my pocket in a way, you know, but it was kind of like that things were just out of balance, you know. I mean, I think that parents get stuck with that option of like there is no option. Mm-hmm. You know, to do right. nothing is something that we just, that we can't do. And I think the system relies on that, that sense of our account, you know, responsibility and accountability we want to have, especially, you know, the younger it is, the worse it may be in that, in that, you know, the initiation phases of it. Uh, But I I certainly didn't want to have kids, you know, being talked to like that because they had relapsed and things were done. Um, But then again, it's really tough to tell Jacqueline when kids are ready. You know, you hope they are. Yeah, you know, I mean that's why that's why we make a choice to put them in. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you don't you don't really know, and then you, as a parent, sometimes you'll get so upset with one you know treatment center and lack of traction because of our kids' choices. Not so much the part on the treatment part of it. Uh, we move. We just we just pick up our house and move to a new treatment center. <laughs> Mm-hmm. and go in and, and we tell our tales of woe to a new intake officer and what's going on. We give them exactly what they need to close us to get, you know, us involved with another program. Uh, and, it, and, and it oftentimes happens more than once. And by right. then, if you're if we're processing like that as a, as, as a parent, as, as a family, then bad things ultimately are going to end up, And I mean, unless you're just, you know, have old money and have such a deep pocket that it's never going to bother you. Um, right. You know, most of the people that I met, you know, they, they, they were hardworking people. Um, you, you just can't spend a hundred, hundred fifty thousand dollars every year, year and a half, and expect to be able to replace that if your child is going to be in, in treatment for that long period of time. Um, and then there's also the fact that when they get done with their that official type treatment they may have to transition into sober living somewhere and that's not free either. Um, you know, they, they do have some where they're work program oriented where your kid has to get a job to pay their rent, you know, those types of things. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there are charitable organizations that uh, will help families that don't have the resources. Um, you know, but it's really difficult because sometimes the waiting list for those types of places, you know, you're really, we're processing a message that we have to do something now. We got to do it today. And they're saying, right. oh, well, it's, it might be nine months to a year before we can get your son into this program. Right. Um, you know, and so then we put, we're processing, well, we feel like we're not taking any option at all by waiting. Right. Um, so it it is a very, very tough place to be. Mm-hmm. Um, this really doesn't have a lot to do with, the treatment pros, as it were, it has a lot to do with, you know, kind of being put in a position of thinking that you have to do something to save your child. Um, right. And that part of it can lead to, you know, can lead to disaster later down the road. You won't feel it initially, but five, six, seven, ten years after you're done with that process, um, you're wondering what, what, what happened, you know, our, our, our IRA is gone, our, 
we, we've got a second mortgage on our house. Um, our car's breaking right. down. Right. Um, you know, I actually know parents that, that literally sold their home. Um, yeah. You know, that, yep. you know, and that, that was the worst of the news when a parent would disappear for a couple of weeks and then find the courage to come back in and say, we've had to make major changes in our lives because we just don't have the money anymore. Mm-hmm. And I can't imagine anything worse than telling your child when they're asking and begging and pleading to go back into treatment that you just can't pay for it anymore. Right. Because right. They, they've used they've used all their brownie points up. You know, there's there's yeah. nothing left. Right. So. Well, and so I really, know you know I know for me when I was going through all of my stuff, I mean, I my mom was a single mom, you know, and and she didn't. My dad did not pay child support. Um, she was supporting, you know, myself and my brother on her own. And that honestly, you know, I, I, to speak from that side of things, you know, from the, the troublemaker, (laughs) the one who is, is getting help. Um, I was aware, you know, and I really did think a lot about that. And I felt really, really guilty that my mom was spending so much money getting me help. And that actually was some motivation, um, for me to really, do the best that I could, you know, to make better choices and, um, you know, actually take the suggestions and, and get the help that I needed because I knew it was hard on her financially. And that, you know, I'm not saying everyone is like that, but I do think, and I was a little bit older, you know, I was 20 when all of that was going on. So I did have a little bit more of a concept and understanding of, you know, what it meant to have a mortgage and car payments and, you know, things like that. So, so that did, that did make a difference, but, you know, I mean, again, I think, I think ultimately it all comes back to this is such a, it's such a good starting point for families to, to, to build on, on their relationships, you know, and to really start working on, their communication. And I think it, you know, I think it, it, it ultimately brings stuff up for everybody involved, you know, and it, it, it becomes not just, I think everyone starts to see where they can um, make a difference and how, how the family comes through this process and how everybody, you know, some of the, the most successful situations I have seen is where everybody just ends up kind of pitching in you know, and, and I don't mean just, I don't mean financially. I mean, just everybody has an attitude of, you know, how can I help and how can I help make the situation better? Right. Being, yeah. So, being able to help work on that outcome, you know, so yeah. that, so that the, the work that's happening day to day and in intensive outpatient or even after residential or during residential, whatever it is. Uh, I, I, I think that that, as you say, that conversation needs to take place and it needs to be done as honestly as possible. I mean, it depends on drug of choice too, as you know. I mean, if our kids right. are out there and, and, and not really communicating, then, you know, I think a parent should talk to other people that have really you know, been through this and um, definitely help them to make a choice that is going to lead to a better outcome down the road. Right. Yeah. So we're, we have a little bit over a minute left in our time today. Gosh, that went by so fast. <laughs> it does every week. Yeah. I'm amazed at how quickly 45 minutes goes by. Um, so, so 
<clears throat> if you have any questions for us, if anything, you know, came up tonight that you'd like to talk about more or you'd like to um, tell us your story, please contact either Frank or myself at frank at thefamilyrecoveryproject.com or Jacqueline at thefamilyrecoveryproject.com or you can contact us through our website, which is thefamilyrecoveryproject.com. Find us on Facebook. And next week we're going to be talking about the term codependency and what it actually means, which there is a lot of debate about that. And I have done extensive research on it, and I'm really excited to talk about it. So um, same bat time, same bat channel next week, 6.30 Eastern time, 3.30 Pacific time here at Blog Talk Radio, and we will post the link on our Facebook page. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and thank you, Frank. Thank you, Jacqueline. Talk to you soon.